1: My name is Heath Hunter. I am a major in the United States Air Force and I've been here at ACF for about 11 months. I grew up in the church. I'm from a a small town in Iowa and from the time I was two years old till the time I left college, you know, I was very involved in our church. I was there every Sunday. Uh, When I went off uh, to college, uh, that's when things kind of, you know, took a turn for me. You know, there was no one there that was pushing me to go. Uh, it was all new people that I was meeting. I found you know different things to do on Sunday morning. I was actually uh, back home for Christmas break, and I met my wife, Amanda. Uh, as we were getting ready to move, one of the things that Amanda and I had a conversation about is let's find a church. let's Let's get back into this routine. Let's bring God into our family. So we we found a church, uh, went there, and immediately fell in love with that church. We both got involved. I was leading a a group on Wednesday nights of high school boys. Amanda was uh, leading a team similar to our our First Impressions team here at ACF. That was our opportunity now. We really felt like home. It, It felt like a family. And then, as we're getting ready to leave Virginia, as it always is, you know, it's it's time for us to move and it's time for us to, to kind of figure some things out. I still remember walking up to the church for the very first time and seeing that big banner that said, Welcome Home. And it was at that point that I knew ACF was going to be our home. And from that day forward, it's always, it's been, what can we do for the church? because we come every Sunday and the church gives so much to us. And additionally, like one of the things that I've found here to make it even more of a home is uh, allowing myself to kind of step out and and volunteer and get more involved. So as a a team leader with First Impressions, uh, for me, it's an absolute outlet. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I had uh, some uh, very interesting leadership challenges Uh, within my you know Air Force uh, career and uh, even though you know Monday through Friday things were very difficult it was that Sunday that I got to come and I got to you know high five the little kids as they came in I got to welcome people I got to you know find people a nice uh, comfortable chair in the front row so they don't have to to sit in the bleachers of the high school but it's just that that interaction with all those people on the, the first impressions team that are becoming family, and then seeing all those other people come in, and I know they get to experience the same things that I've experienced uh, here at uh, ACF. My name is Heath, and that's why I need church.
0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to ACF Church. We're so glad that you're with us, and let's welcome everybody who's with us online as well. Thank you guys for joining us. We love you. Um, man, here we are, and do you know that we only have a few weeks left in the gym of the high school? So yeah, I mean, we're excited to get into our home. There's been a lot of work happening. If you've seen the updates on Facebook or in the emails, you guys, we are painting. They're getting ready to put down floors. I mean, they are just cruising over at the building to get us back in there. We're looking at mid-August, and so um, just sort of a, as a heads up to you. We don't know the exact date yet. You will hear it. It's gonna get sent out on our text updates. It's gonna get sent out on emails. And so you're gonna hear it as soon as we know the date. But what we do know is it's gonna be, uh, Sundays at 9 and 11, like it has been here. And then we're gonna relaunch Wednesday night. Where are my Wednesday night people at? You guys excited? Oh, so good. You are my people. I always say this. If uh, I didn't uh, preach, I would go to church on Wednesday. That would be my day. Church was meant to be in the evening, I'm convinced. So anyway, we are uh, in a series today called Who Needs Church? And this has been a conversation through the book of Acts, which is really our story. It's the story of the early church and the explosion of uh, growth that we see in that gathering of people. And we've really come back to, over and over again, this passage from Acts 1-8, which is this idea that the Holy Spirit will come upon His church, and that we will be His witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And you and I are recipients of that mission, and we are also participators in that mission. And so that's our goal as a church, is to be an Acts 1-8 community. And, and so Acts is really, it is our story, and we are a continuation of that story Today. And up until this point, there's been a lot of things that have happened. Um, we've seen the Holy Spirit come upon the church, people um, experiencing the Spirit of God speaking into them and through them. We've seen uh, people share the gospel and thousands of people get saved uh, we've seen persecution begin to grow in the church. And, and then uh, we talked about Stephen, who was the first martyr last week, being killed uh, for his faith in, in Jesus. And so this is something that's growing. The persecution of the church is growing. It's getting really uncomfortable around the church. Which for some of you, you're like, that is always my story too. I'm really uncomfortable when I go to church. I bet, I bet somebody here today, right now you are just really uncomfortable uh, maybe you don't go to church very often. Um, maybe you're wondering if I've noticed that you've been gone for a little while. That gets uncomfortable, right? It's funny. I've, we've been at Bear Paw, working our Bear Paw booth, uh, and people come up, and they're like, oh, Pastor Brian, Pastor Brian, you know? And they're like, I've been fishing, and I've got this going on. It's like, you don't have to explain yourself to me. I get it. I understand. There's a feeling of accountability there, but sometimes life just gets uncomfortable. Church gets uncomfortable. We find ourselves in uncomfortable conversations, Right? And you guys, I'm a pastor, so I end up in a lot of uncomfortable conversations. And people say funny things to me. Um, it always cracks me up. A few weeks ago, somebody, somebody came up. I'd never met him before, and they are like, Pastor Brian, it's good to meet you. You look taller on TV. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't even say it. You need a smaller TV. I don't know what to tell you. Um, and then later that day, somebody uh, came up, and they're like, you know what I love about you, Pastor Brian? Um, you're just an average guy. I was <laughs> like... Thanks. I mean, I try not to exceed anyone's expectation. That's my goal. Just par the course. That's what I hope to do. You know, I get it, though. Like, the ideas, you know, can relate to me or whatnot. But maybe you've been in uncomfortable conversations or uncomfortable moments. And and can we just say we like to avoid those things? I mean, maybe maybe the reason you haven't been to church in a while, or maybe your family members haven't been to church, is that there's just a discomfort, right? There's this feeling I think a lot of people have when they come into church that nobody struggles like I do. Nobody thinks what I think, and nobody's been where I've been or done what I've done. And I just want you to know there's a good chance that somebody here has probably been where you've been, done what you've done, and thinks the way that you think. And this is a safe place for that, but it means that you're going to have to push through the discomfort and deal with it sometimes. Uh, I was reading an article this week about a guy that uh, really struggled with the discomfort of rejection, Uh, like any of us, right? Maybe you remember trying to ask that girl out on a date, but you're like, I just can't do it. I don't want to deal with the discomfort of rejection. So he did something that they call rejection therapy, uh, and rejection therapy is where you just, for a set period of time, go out and do things that you know you'll be rejected for and sort of numb yourself to the pain of uh, the discomfort of rejection. And so he set out, he did some strange things. Um, he went out and he was just going to ask to borrow $100 from a random stranger on the street. And just, you know, he's going to deal with the rejection and, and uh, learn. With... He, he went to Burger King and he ate his hamburger and then brought the wrapper to the counter and asked for a burger refill from the guy at Burger King. And he uh, went to a neighbor and asked the neighbor if he could just play soccer in his backyard. And then he went to another neighbor and asked if he could plant a flower in her flower bed. You know, like, he's just doing things that most people will reject him for so that he can sort of realize that it's not as bad as he thinks because isn't that the reality? I mean when when we have all this fear of the rejection, of the discomfort and then we lean in and and do that uncomfortable thing, often we find it's just not as scary as we made it out to be. And today's message I've entitled Don't Get Too Comfy, which let the bleacher people say, I will I will not, right? I'm not going to get too comfortable in these bleacher seats. The seats are uncomfortable anyway, but this is a habit in the church is that we get way too comfortable. And comfortable, comfortable and being comfortable and, and uh, I can't speak this morning, comfort is something that often steals our vision, right? It's something that often steals us from, from God's call on our lives, and we don't walk into the things that he has for us. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 8, and I hope you've had a chance to read along with us. Uh, if you If you haven't, we've got some bookmarks in the lobby with all of the text that we're going to be in every single week. But here in Acts chapter 8, uh, we see the continuing of the persecution of the church. And we're introduced more and more to this man named Saul. And Acts 8 begins by saying simply that Saul had approved of Stephen's stoning. Saul approved of what had happened, the death of this man. And this man Saul, who was this very zealous Jewish leader, believed that Christianity was a threat this movement of Christians, that it was actually like a cult, right? And that Jesus was not the true Messiah. And so his goal, his goal, and he, even from a, from a religious motivation, was to wipe out Christianity. And as we've seen over the course of generations, many things have been done, right? By a, a religious motivation, these, these terrible things we've seen done throughout history. This is one of them, as, as Saul is trying to wipe out the Christians And we see in verse three, it says, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And so Christianity at this point was, he saw it like a virus, this growing virus that just needed to be wiped out. Kind of like if you've ever seen like an apocalyptic movie or a zombie movie where the scientist comes out and he talks to the the crowd and he's like, all right, here we are. This is ground zero, right? This is the beginning of the whole thing, and he shows sort of how it's expanded from place to place to place to place, and and even Saul could see uh, this Acts one eight mission beginning to come to fruition, and so he 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 ends up persecuting the church, dragging women and men out of their homes to persecute them. And now, when we hear of this, it's hard for us to get our heads wrapped around this because we don't experience it the way that they experience persecution, but. But when we see it, we say, man, that's terrible, right? I mean, can you imagine being drug out of your home for believing in Jesus? And so we would say this is a terrible thing that was happening. But what we also see is happening is that Paul's persecution is actually propelling the mission. His persecution against the church is moving the mission of God forward. It's actually growing the momentum of the church You see, in this time, the church was doing all these amazing things. There were no needs among them. They're being generous with one another. They're doing all these things in Jerusalem, but it's beginning to grow because of persecution. It wasn't safe for them anymore to gather like today we gather in these large groups. They had to spread out. And through the spreading, the mission began to grow, and the gospel was shared with many, many new people of different nationalities, different backgrounds. And so, although Saul was trying to wipe out the church, he was actually, to a certain degree, helping the church. Because a little bit of challenge, a little bit of discomfort, sometimes is exactly what the church needs to continue to move forward. You see, let me guarantee you something. In this early church, at this early moment in their development, I would tell you that spiritual stagnation was already knocking at the door. There could have been this temptation. Hey, we have no needs among us. We're taking care of each other. Let's just sit back and relax. Let's forget about the call that's been placed upon our lives to go to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the ends of the earth. I guarantee that they, just like you and I, love comfort. And if there wasn't something to push them out of that comfort, they might have found themselves staying right where they were and you and I may not be sitting here today. But through the persecution, through discomfort, the, the mission was expanded. And so I would say in our culture, isn't, isn't comfort a primary goal that we see? I mean, don't, come on, let's, can we admit we all really like to be comfor- comfortable? We love comfort. It is definitely something we go after. In, in fact, um, did you see the video from last week, Costco, when they got the fans in? Did you see what happened? It turned into Black Friday in Anchorage. If you're online, you don't know what's going on. It's been like a thousand degrees in Alaska. The whole state's on fire, and we're freaking out. And so we're all hot. We're grumpy. You know, we're staying up way too late. And so people don't have fans in AC in Alaska. And so Costco gets some fans, and people are like tripping over one another to get a fan. Why? Because they were uncomfortable, right? I mean, we'll do anything to not have to deal with discomfort, almost anything. And you can see this in a lot of areas of, uh, of what we have in our culture. You can see this in the products that we purchase, right? Um, I love how cars have developed to add to our comfort. I mean, for me, like the most comfortable place that I own is in my car. I have air conditioning in my car, right? If you look at old cars, the seats were like two pieces of plywood nailed together, right? But then over time, now we've got like tempur padding for our butts so we can sit there for, you know, many, many hours in the car. And then they added heated seats, which are amazing in Alaska if you've got heated seats. And then they added air-conditioned seats, right? Which some of you just finally got to turn on in your car. And then more recently, now we have massaging seats in cars, which I was talking to a buddy and I'm like, that's really dangerous, right? I would just be passed out asleep going down the highway. And he said, no, the next thing now is now the car can tell when your heart rate goes too low and it'll start buzzing and like waking you up so that you don't end up in the ditch. So even our comfort is trying to kill us, right? <laughs> but it's interesting. It, we love to be comfortable. We love to be cozy. We love to relax. And, and in and of themselves, none of those things are necessarily wrong or or bad, right? But over time, our pursuit of comfort can certainly steal us from our calling, can it not? I mean, our calling, honestly, I will tell you, happens when we are uncomfortable. And hear me on this today. Your faith does not grow in an environment of comfort. I want to tell you that. Your faith will not grow in an environment of comfort. You have to be uncomfortable to grow, Right? We all want to run the marathon, we don't want to go on the treadmill, right? We want the abs, we don't want to do the planks, right? We don't want to work out. We don't want to, we want the body, but we don't want to give up the food, right? And and so none of us love to give up things so that we can get the things that we want, but we know in our hearts that on the other side of discomfort are the things that we're wanting out of life, and I'll tell you, the church itself has been guilty. Um, we are all guilty of finding ourselves getting comfortable. Many, many churches start off really strong. Many, many churches start off with a strong vision and mission, and they're going after it, and they're coming together, and they're sacrificing for the mission and the vision. And over time, it just gets a little comfortable, right? I mean, you know, like, if your church and the people in your church are talking more about the padding in the seats— than the number of people in our city that don't need or don't know Jesus, then you've sort of given yourself to the God of comfort, right? I mean, churches can argue and get upset about all kinds of things that aren't anything to do with the mission God has given them. Our faith will not grow in comfort. And I believe God knew that and, and even allowed this persecution to grow the mission of the church. Now, some of you, some of you are struggling with this because you're like, wait a minute, isn't God the God of comfort, right? In fact, and I would say, yes, he is. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all what? Comfort. Who comforts us in all our affliction. Here's what I want you to know. If you're here today and you're afflicted, God wants to meet you right there. And he wants to give you comfort that you haven't been able to experience from your your wife, or your husband, or your family members, or your friends. He wants to be a companion with you in the struggle. And he wants to comfort you through all you've come through. And he wants to meet you right in your struggle, no matter where you've come from today. If you're like, man, I don't think I deserve to be in church today. I want you to know you're in the right place. And God wants to comfort your heart But as with many things that we read about in the scriptures, I would say comfort is something that's oftentimes misunderstood. I think sometimes we don't really understand what it means that God is the God of comfort. God's comfort is different than what we might think. You see, God wants to comfort us, but I don't think he wants us comfortable. He wants to comfort us, but I don't think he wants us comfortable. In fact, this word comfort is the Greek word paraklesis which means a holy urging. And it is used of the Lord directly motivating and inspiring believers to carry out his plan, delivering his particular message to someone else. That's the literal translation of the word comfort. That's different than maybe what you think of, right? When I think of comfort, I think of a fire and a cozy blanket and a cup of hot chocolate, right? That's what I think of when I think of somebody who's going to comfort me is just going to make me comfortable. But it sounds like what God wants to do is to be in us and with us in the struggle so that we might go out and share the good news of the gospel. It's a different kind of comfort. It's a motivating comfort. You see, God's comfort gets us off the couch, not into it. And I love my couch. And I love my lazy boy. I got the reclining seat. Man, I love... My couch. I love being comfortable and sometimes I dream about sitting in my couch, but God's comfort is the kind of comfort that says, I'm with you in it. I'm with you in it. I mean, imagine our life is sort of like a race and we're running this, this race really hard and we just want to quit. You see, your vision of God might be like God saying, Hey, come on off the, off the, off the racetrack. Come on over here. Just sit with me and get off the track and I'll just sort of like hold you, right? But this God of comfort, this comforter, is is the God who's like, keep going, right? Keep running, I'm with you. Stay the course, fight the fight, keep racing, push yourself to the finish and finish well. And that's a different kind of a God of comfort. It gets us off the couch, not into the couch. And this type of comfort that motivates us on mission is, I will tell you, the kind of comfort that leads to a a church of vitality, a church of life, the kind of church that I want to be a part of is a church that's on mission. And our temptation will always be, like anyone else, to sort of gravitate towards comfort so that we might lose our calling. And it happens all the time. I see it. um, Sometimes we see it in our small groups, our life groups. Occasionally a life group will, will explode and get really big. And, and, and then the temptation for the life group leader is to call up Pastor Stewart and say, Pastor Stewart, we want to close our doors. We want to shut the doors. Can you take us off all the, the lists online? And we don't want to, we don't want anybody else coming. And I've seen it time and time again, almost all the time, those groups end up shutting down at some point. Cause when you close the door, you end up shutting yourself off to the mission that God might have for you. And then over time, what was vital and, and, and exciting and alive starts to grow a little stagnant, right? There's no fresh, you know, influence, fresh people involved. And then you kind of get sick of each other at some point, right? And that's honestly for some of you, when you think who needs church, that was your church experience. You just experienced sort of this church without a mission, church without a vision, the God of comfort that wants to make you comfortable, and then before you knew it, you were just like, I'm just not interested. You know, it's funny, um, for you single people, you might just be dreaming of a man or woman who just worships the ground that you walk on, right? Like, mean, come on, can you be honest? If you're single, you're like, that would be nice. Somebody who just follows me around is just like, you're so amazing. You are so good. Oh, come here, come here, baby. I just love you. You're just awesome. I, can I just tell you, um, as, a, as a married man, I'm at 16 years, going strong. Um, you don't want that. You don't want that. Um, I married an amazing woman who will put me in my place. I married an amazing woman who will tell me the truth. Not just, you know, you got some junk in your teeth, but she'll tell me, like when I'm blowing it. And for me, that's what I want, is I want someone running alongside me who knows how to bring out the best in me. And guess what that means? A lot of discomfort, a lot of awkward conversations. A lot of hearing things that I just don't want to hear, but in the end, I know I need to hear. And that's how God grows us, and that's how he grows the church. You see, multiplication and mission are essential to healthy people and healthy churches. If you as an individual are not multiplying and, and on mission, then you will not be healthy. And it's the same thing is true for the church. In Acts 8, 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching The word. Okay, so they deal with this persecution, and now the church is scattered from place to place, and we see the mission expanding. But what you need to know about the scattering of the church is that the scattering never sacrificed the gathering. The scattering of people never sacrificed the gathering. They continued to meet together in homes, they continued to encourage each other, like we're doing here this morning, to pray for each other, to worship together, and get perspective. You see, you can't scatter well unless you gather well. We need this. We need the church. We need the community. In fact, Psalm 92, 13 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? That's awesome. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. You see, planting leads to flourishing. But a lot of people today don't want to plant themselves. And if you're the kind of person that's like, man, I don't know, like, I'm sort of engaged, sort of not, I'm here and there, I don't want to really commit to a local church, or you're somebody who's like, goes from church to church to church, you got to plant yourself if you want to flourish, because that's where these relationships begin. And that's where the encouragement grows. One of the things um, I learned from my dad growing up is uh, we did a lot of hunting and and fishing together. And whenever we would go somewhere that's sort of uh, remote, the first thing that we would do is we would set up, uh, a base camp. And base camp was really important is that we'd have this place where we would get the tent set up and we'd get all our food laid out and our clothes laid out, make sure a heater was ready to be turned on. And even if it was like a sunny, beautiful day, we'd make sure that tent was strapped down, ready for like a hurricane, right? Because you never know when the rain's gonna come. You never know when the clouds are gonna roll in, when the wind's gonna start blowing. And so we'd always make sure that we had a base camp so that when we're out hunting around the countryside, we could come back to some place, get refueled, get healthy, and be ready for the, for the next day, right? And there's sort of this individualistic view of Christianity that says, I don't need a base camp. I mean, we don't, we don't need a... Brian, the mission is out there. There are people across the world who um, are hungry and don't have food. There are people across the world who uh, don't have clean water, right? And so we got to get them clean water. And I would say, absolutely. But we also need a base camp to launch from on to mission, right? If you've ever hiked a mountain, if you've ever done anything that's going to cause you to exert a lot of energy, you know you need a place to rest, a place to get fueled up. Now, some of you over the course of this summer have been wondering, um, why are we putting so much energy and, and resources and money into our building? And you're like, man, it's just a building. Do we really need a building? What's the point of the building? I want to tell you that I believe that our Brooks Loop facility is a base camp for our Acts 1-8 mission. Our Brooks Loop facility, it's a base camp. It's a place where we go from into the world and to, to serve our city and to serve the world, to hit our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to go to the ends of the earth. ACF, we need a base camp. And that's why it matters so much to us. But it's not the point, is it? See, this is where it falls off. When we want to be a comfortable church, we put all our energy into the base camp. And it simply becomes a place where we, it's it's like our big couch. We just come and we sit on it all day long, right? We do everything in the church. We only hang out in the church. The whole point is the church. And I just want you to know this, this building is not the point. God has placed us in a specific time and place with a mission. Acts 8.36, it continues on. We see the story of uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. And we don't have all the time to get into this whole story, but here's this man um, who's this high uh, official. He's like basically the CFO for the queen and uh, has all this authority and he's reading the scriptures and he's trying to figure out what they're about, right? And Philip runs into him on the road and, and shares the gospel with him, tells him how all of these these scriptures lead to Jesus, how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that he needs. And I love this man's response He hears the gospel and it just like it touches his heart and it propels him forward. It says this in verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? That's a great question, isn't it? Don't you love his heart, right? He hears the gospel and he's like, oh, here's here's an opportunity for obedience. Why wouldn't I do it right now? Can I just say that's not often our question? It's not often my question. My question is often, why should I? Not why shouldn't I? This man, we don't know his name. We don't know much about him. But he hears about Jesus. And his heart is so touched that he thinks, why shouldn't I do it? Why shouldn't I be compelled to go and get baptized? To go and do something with the faith that's inside of me? You see, I think people often abandon church. Because they hear a gospel that is comforting, but not compelling. The gospel is compelling. The truth of the grace of Jesus is compelling. It's not only comforting in the sense that it it, it helps us heal. It helps us uh, to understand where we are before God. But it also compels us to go on mission. To go and love others like Jesus first loved us. I want you to know this. If the gospel you've heard doesn't compel you to go, you haven't truly experienced the gospel. Because the truth of Jesus, it hits us deep in our souls. And it's something that bursts out of our lives. And it compels us to move forward. And for you, maybe you abandoned church a long time ago because you heard a gospel that was all about you. You see, I've got news for you. The gospel, in the end, it's all about Jesus. The center of the gospel is not you, it's not me, it's Jesus. It's the reign and rule of Christ on earth as it is in heaven. And when Christ is the center of the gospel, then all of our energy and resources and mission and vision gets focused on him. And I want you to know that's where life is. That's where hope is. That's where peace is. That's where joy is. A life focused on you and focused on me is a really terrible life. When we get focused inward, it ends up ruining um, our, 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 our heart and our mission that God has given us. Uh, one of the ways that I've always thought about this, um, at least for many, many years, uh, since I read the, this, this book by a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer called uh, The Cost of Discipleship, was that there's sort of this idea of cheap grace and costly grace. And I think many people have heard something sort of like a cheap grace from Jesus. It's like, yeah, you know, it's all about you, and it's not that big of a deal, and you can kind of do what you want with it. And here's what he says. He says, cheap grace means grace as a doctrine, a principle, a system. It means forgiveness of sins proclaimed as a general truth, the love of God taught as the Christian conception of God. An intellectual assent to that idea is held to be of itself sufficient to secure remission of sins. In such a church, the world finds a cheap covering for its sins. No contrition is required still less any real desire to be delivered from sin. Cheap grace, therefore, amounts to a denial of the living word of God. In fact, a denial of the incarnation of the word of God. An incarnation is simply God in the flesh. This idea that when we actually understand the cost of the grace that Jesus gave us, it means that we live what's called incarnational lives. Like we are Jesus in the flesh for the world to see. The people can actually see how good God is by the way they see his church, which that would be cool, right? If you were like, man, you know ACF Church? You know how I know God is good? Because I've seen ACF Church. I've seen them. So God must be really good because I see those people. He continues on. He says, costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Isn't that powerful? So there's cheap grace, which isn't worth doing anything with. It's not even really the gospel. And then there's this costly grace, this pearl of great price, this valuable treasure that we see in the true gospel of Jesus that's worth giving our lives to. And I wonder for you, have you heard a cheap grace gospel? Maybe given yourself to that, and maybe that's why you don't need church because you're just like, honestly, it's not worth my time. And I want you to know that's one of the signs that you have heard a cheap grace gospel is that it's not worth your energy. It's sort of an accessory to life. It's not the focus of your life. In a cheap grace gospel, honestly, if it's not worth making you uncomfortable, if it's not worth you giving your your, your time to and your energy to, why would you trust it with your eternity? Why would you trust this God with your eternity if he's not worth making you uncomfortable? But if it's worth giving yourself to, then, then maybe he's worth trusting with your eternity. So we continue on. Flip over to Acts chapter 9, if you've got your Bibles. Saul is now struck blind on a road. And this is the famous conversion moment of Saul. And this is a powerful story. He's struck blind. He has this vision from God uh, for him, like this was his conversion moment. And in this story, when I read this, typically I've put all my energy on Saul because this is pretty cool. I mean, this is a really big deal. I don't typically spend much time thinking about the guy that God sent to speak to Saul. But this time as I was reading this, I felt like, man, this is really it. This is, this is, for me, right now, this is what God is speaking to me, is about this guy that God used to speak to Saul. It says in verse 10, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now some of you are like, didn't we talk about him a few weeks ago? Different Ananias, right? That guy's dead. That's the dead Ananias. This is a different Ananias. You can go back and read it if you, if you haven't read that. But it's interesting. I think Luke, who wrote Acts, is a, he's a smart man. So he puts in this story about Ananias and Sapphira. You know, remember that? So they sell the, sell the field. They hold back some of the money that they said they were going to give. And then, you know, God strikes them dead. It's a crazy moment, right? But remember Ananias' name? You remember what it means? It means somebody who God has been gracious with. That's what Ananias means. God has been gracious. And so for one man who received the grace of God, it resulted in him being greedy. I'll tell you for that, Ananias, he probably received sort of a cheap grace. He didn't truly understand how costly and beautiful the grace of Jesus is. And so it, it welled up with greed in his life. But now this man, who's also named Ananias, has a completely different response to the grace of Jesus. It says, The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And that's cool. So he has this vision of God. God speaks to him, and he calls his name, which that's pretty amazing. Can you imagine God just calling your name? Just, just like literally audibly hearing God call your name. And what I think is so awesome in this moment is that Ananias actually answers him. Uh, any parents in the room? Some parents around here? A few of you guys. So uh, my kids have this habit this is kind of a new thing um, where if I can't see them and they can't see me and I call their names, they think they don't have to answer me. It's funny. So like the, I know they're in their bedroom. I'll be like, you know, Grayson, Grayson. And I'll walk in and he's playing with his toys. Yes, dad. I'm like, son, you can hear me. I know you can hear me, right? But he thinks, if I, you know, it, it's interesting I have that same sort of habit with God. Sometimes I sort of go, if I can't see him, he can't see me. Let me just be focused on whatever I'm in the middle of, you know? Let me just be focused on my job, focused on my family, focused on enjoying this beautiful state that I live on live in so I don't have to answer the voice of God. If I can't see him, he can't see me, right? The Lord calls Ananias, and Ananias says, Here I am, Lord. God's like, I knew where you were. Just want to make sure you were ready to hear me. Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at that house, at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias, that's you, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Have you ever heard God speak and been like, excuse me? Like, are you serious? Are you serious? You want me to do what? I don't know that I completely comprehend how uncomfortable this moment was for him. I mean, it, it, first of all, you're hearing from God, which is kind of a cool moment. But then God actually speaks like you've wanted him to speak. And he says something that you don't want to hear. Which is that he wants to use you to be the voice of God to a man who is killing your people. Can we all just say, that's not quite what I was looking for, right? That's maybe not what I wanted to hear from God when he spoke audibly to me. And I love that Ananias, he's honest. At least he's honest. Verse 13, it says, But Ananias answered, Lord, (laughs) I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. I mean, this is huge. It doesn't get much less comfortable than this. Think of the risk to him. What's his family thinking? If he has a family, think of the risk to his family. And what's interesting is God doesn't even tell you, and Ananias, he's going to come to Jesus, and you'll be fine. He does not know the outcome. The outcome could be, I share the gospel with Saul, Saul cuts my head off. It very well could be that. I mean, this would be like God calling you and saying, I want you to share the gospel with an ISIS terrorist. That's what this would feel like to us. And so imagine, imagine what his prayer life was like in the next few moments. I mean, have you ever found yourself sort of fervently praying to God because of your circumstances? Or because of the thing that you were walking into? Have you ever found yourself stepping so far out of your comfort zone that you are on your knees day and night pleading for the mercy of God to be on this moment? I'd imagine that Ananias, his life is transformed by his willingness. What we do know about him is he does walk forward in this moment. He throws himself at the mercy of God and becomes the voice to Saul, this man who we would know as Paul, who ends up being, I would say, the most influential man in the church in all of history apart from Jesus. This is what one moment of obedience can look like. This is what one moment of simply stepping out of ourselves can be like. Is it can transform the lives of not only one person, but many, many people through the ripple effect of what happens in their lives. And we're willing to have awkward conversations and to do things that are a risk to ourselves. You see, Ananias put himself in a moment where he had to trust God, didn't he? He could have continued on and and even disobeyed the voice of God. We don't know what that would have been like. But he could have avoided situations where he would have to trust God. Instead, he was in a moment where he knew he needed to trust God. And I guarantee you, it changed his heart. And here's the hard truth. As I was praying about this this week in my life, is that I believe that at the root of our pursuit of comfort is a desire for a life where we don't need God. Can we admit that we all sort of want a backup plan? in case this whole Jesus thing doesn't work out. Maybe that's not everybody, but can we admit that sometimes we're like, man, if if God doesn't come through, I want to make sure that I've got a backup plan so that I can take care of myself. I mean, I want to risk for Jesus. I want to risk for the kingdom, but I want to risk too far, right? Whereas Ananias had no backup plan. He risked everything. He got as uncomfortable as uncomfortable can be. And watch God do miraculous things in his life, and his faith grew. Remember, your faith will not grow in comfort. Your faith will grow in discomfort. And for some of you, the things that God wants to do in and through you are on the other side of the most uncomfortable thing in your life. They're on the other side of that conversation right now that you don't want to have. They're on the other side of, of that decision you need to make about your future that you don't want to make. They're on the other side of you having some discipline in a certain area of your life that God is calling you to have discipline. And on the other side of that, discomfort is God's call on your life. But until you make that decision, you will never walk into what he has for you. This man, Paul, later in life, he's radically transformed. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, because that's what they said about Christians, You guys got to be out of your minds. Don't you want to be known for that, church? ACF, you are out of your minds. Man, I want to be known for that. Not just that we're nuts, because some people, some churches are known for that, but that we're nuts for Jesus, right? That we're nuts by the way that we love people and the way that we care for people, the way that we're generous. People are like, man, you guys are so gracious. You're just out of your minds. He says, it is for God if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. In other words, the old us is gone. The new us has come in Jesus. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was also raised again. I love that. Christ's love compels us. The God of comfort moves us away from, From what's comfortable. It moves us away from what what causes us to not need God into situations where we are desperately needing his mercy and his grace. And right in those moments, that's where our faith grows. And that's where we see God come through in miraculous ways. For some of you, you don't need church and you don't need faith because you've stuck with comfort. And today, God is calling you into something uncomfortable. So a few things for you as you move forward. And I hope you will. Um, The first thing is, would you dig your toes in? And I have in parentheses there, reject superficiality. It is so comfortable to put on your church face. Some of you are smiling today, and your life is a disaster. I mean, you walked in here, and nobody knows, but you know. You know where you've come from this week, man. You know what's going on in your home. And the temptation is to live a superficial life. And I know that putting yourself out there means that other people can hurt you, but I also want you to know that those relationships can save your life. And I've talked with a lot of people um, who needed that friendship and at the right time they came to church and they made that relationships and put themselves out there and it literally saved them, their lives. I would imagine that in a church our size, uh, there's someone dealing with depression. There's probably someone dealing with suicidal thoughts. Please don't live in obscurity. Please don't accept the lie that that superficial relationships are where where it's at. My prayer for you is that you would allow someone else to walk with you. Allow someone else to know what's going on in your life. If you're someone who's a military person, and you're leaving in six months, I want you to reject the temptation to pull away. And I was a military kid, so I know what it's like. But I want you to love people like crazy, and I want you to leave and go on to what's next. And for us as a church, if you're new, here's what we want you to know. We love you. If you're going to be here for six months or two years, let's make it the best two years of your life or six months of your life. Let's see God use you and get you healthier than ever and then move on to what's next. But reject superficiality. I know it's uncomfortable, but it's worth it. The next thing I want you to consider doing is to be unapologetically Christian. Like just all in. Where your friends know it, Your parents know it. And below that, I have it in parentheses, reject syncretism. And syncretism is something that was really common um, in the first century as as much as it is today. But it's this temptation to sort of believe a little bit of everything and and never to really kind of stake your claim on Jesus. And I know for some of you, it's uncomfortable. Like you're not ready yet for your friends to see you at church or to see you um, all out for Jesus. But I want you to know that this is, This uncomfort, discomfort is really where your growth is going to begin. A friend of mine, I was talking to him last week, and he's he's just on fire, man. He's excited, he's serving, he's loving people, just giving himself uh, to so many great things. And he's just telling me, man, what, what God's doing in his life lately through this community, through ACF. And he said, yeah, but some of my friends are struggling with it a little bit. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, one guy was like, I think we've lost you. Which is him, him saying, I think we lost you to the church, you know? Like, I think you've kind of gone over the deep, you've gone off the deep end of this whole Jesus thing. I remember a 16-year-old girl when I was uh, leading a youth group, and she came in crying one day because her parents weren't believers, and her mom had said, uh, had told her, I, I think you've taken this Jesus thing too far. She didn't know what to do with that. Like, what do, she's like, Pastor Brian, what does it mean that I took the Jesus thing too far? I just want you to know if you're going to love Jesus with all your heart, you're going to have some people who are going to disconnect from you. Um, oftentimes, they're not the people that you necessarily need connected to you anyway. But I want you to know that on the other side of that discomfort is really the calling that God has put on your life. And the last thing I want you to consider doing is to do something drastic. I mean, maybe for you, it's, it's sort of like that, that rejection therapy, Right? you need some discomfort therapy. You need to put yourself in situations where you need God, where you're stepping out on a limb and you're doing things that you know that if God doesn't come through, man, it's going to be a mess. But in those things that you know that your joy is going to come from simply being obedient to God, simply doing what he calls you to do. What if you just did something drastic for Jesus, made a drastic decision, What if he would come through? Be prayerful about it. Don't just do something stupid to do something stupid, but listen to the Spirit, right? God wants to call us to to things that are are drastic things. Time is short. We live in a dark, dark world that needs people who are all out for Jesus. A few weeks ago, a couple came up to me after church, and um, they brought up a sermon that I'd preached a couple of months ago. I was talking about abortion. And uh, that's a hot topic in our culture today. And one of the things I said in that sermon is that we want to be a harbor for the hurting. We want to be the kind of church that when people think of ACF, they think that's a safe place to be when I'm struggling with having a child. When I'm struggling with the situation in my life. We said that's, that's what we want to be as a community. It's a safe place for people to wrestle through those things. And this couple came up and they're like, man, God really spoke to us. And they said, you know, We've been talking about it, and we really feel like that, that if you hear of anybody that is considering an abortion, that we would love to adopt their child. And I was like, wow, that's drastic. I mean, that's putting, that's putting all your chips in, right? I mean, that is, some, that is God through his spirit speaking to people that they might give up comfort and finances and even some of their dreams so that they might care for someone that they don't even know yet. I mean, sometimes I believe that God wants to call us in, to these dangerous things, these uncomfortable things, and right there is where our faith comes alive. What is Jesus asking you to do? What uncomfortable thing? Maybe, maybe you've been needing some healing in your life. Maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's emotional, or maybe it's physical healing but you haven't asked anyone to pray for you. And I just, I see this early church and I just see them so willing to come before each other and say, I have a need. I need God to work. I'm not going to assume that he's going to do what I want him to do, but I'm going to plead with him that he would show up. I just want you to know, what if what if your healing is on the other side of you simply asking for prayer, doing something uncomfortable? What if you would simply today as we are worshiping, just get let someone pray for you Maybe you need to make a hard, hard call about your job, about your future, about your finances. And you've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off because it's really uncomfortable and you need to make that difficult decision today just to trust God. And maybe it's a phone call and maybe it's your dad. You haven't talked to your dad in years and you're just like, man, I'd love to see that healed, but I don't want to have that conversation. And what if restoration is on the other side of that uncomfortable conversation? While we were pursuing the God of comfort, Jesus was pursuing an excruciating pain on a cross to die that we might heal what was broken between us and him. Jesus wants to be our comforter, but he wants to call us into the mission that he's given us. Would you stand up? I'd love to pray for you and pray for all of us as we seek to do uncomfortable things this week. God, I just imagine there's probably someone here who uh, this was the last thing they wanted to hear at church today. Ah, God, we love comfort. And uh, God, we love security and safety. And God, I just confess that I often convince myself that I can control my life. But God, we want to stand together as a church and just acknowledge that that's a lie. Father, that you are the one who is orchestrating all of this together. So God, I pray that we would be not the kind of people that seek to live without you. God, help us to resist the temptation to live apart from needing your grace and mercy to be poured out on us. But God, but we would lean in. God, that we would do something drastic this week with our lives just to see your grace poured out, maybe on the life of a neighbor or a friend or a family member. God, I pray that we'd be unapologetically believers in Jesus. God, that we wouldn't fear the perception of Christianity, but we would change the perception of Christianity. God, help us to open our mouths and to speak. God, help us to serve with abandon. And God, I pray it would all come from a deep knowledge of how costly your grace was for you and how loved we must be that you would die for us. And I pray for the person here today, God, that maybe the most uncomfortable thing they're gonna do today is just to profess that you are their savior, that you're their Lord. And I pray they'd be able to make that decision here today. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys.